What's up, everybody? This is Michael, and you're listening to the Heavyweights Podcast. Our goal is to have honest conversations about weights and expectations that specifically men carry with them in our society today. So if you're a man who desires to live with integrity and wants to listen in on some real guys having real conversations and hopefully learn a thing or two, keep listening. Uh, thinking about the the first episode and what we talked about, like kind of the weights that we carried before, we kind of jumped over, well, what you said, uh, Jenny said, like we kind of jumped over who we are, mm-hmm. how we got here. I'm fine with, I would love to learn, like maybe this is the second or third date type conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Tell me yeah. about your life, man. Yeah. You know, like yeah. uh, how did you Just make- giving a little bit of context to like our backgrounds. I yeah. Think it's good for yeah. People that are listening. So, Please. I, you know, everything from, you know, growing up to, yeah, I mean, I'll try to be uh, concise, but I grew up here in Springfield. Um, I was born in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then my mom and dad, so my mom was from, uh, she was in a military family, as was my dad, and so they they kind of landed, my mom's family landed in Kansas primarily, uh, my dad's family landed in South Louisiana, And my dad graduated from LSU. My mom graduated from KU. And then while my dad was doing, uh, I think, like a clinical, some clinical work or whatever uh, for occupational therapy, they met. So when when they first got married, they went to New Orleans and then Charlotte for their work. And that's where I was born. And then we ended up moving to Springfield to be closer to my mom's family. And... um, so I went to Kickapoo, played basketball and football there, and um, always sang in church, grew up in a very musical family. This and, is what I wanted to hear about, so continue. The yeah, video. so like, yeah, the music, <laughs> the music thing. So like, I mean, it's interesting because music for me has always just been like this like uh, passion in my soul. And regardless of the level of talent or skill that that God's given me, uh, it's just a really big part of my DNA. And, um, and I'm really thankful for that. I feel like that's a, it's a, it's a gift that's just like in my heart that nobody can like take from me. Um, but I, I grew up, part of that was just growing up singing in church. I mean, whether I wanted to or not, my mom was always signing me up. And even though sports was like, that was really something that I was grabbing and trying to chase after both basketball and football. Um, music just always kind of had a way of, of working its way to the forefront. Um, so I ended up after college or after high school, I had accepted a vocal performance scholarship to Missouri State, SMS at the time, Southwest Missouri State University. And, uh, yeah, I was back before the name changed. I am dating myself. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I, uh, was, I went there and I absolutely just was like flunking out. Like when I say flunking out, like, I mean, I had a, I mean, I had one class that I had an A and that was like concert corral. And then every other class I had an F, I was just like, I've rushed a fraternity and I realized really quick that music was like, I loved the performance aspect. Like God has always just called me to the stage, like in the stage being a metaphorical stage. God has just always 
given me a platform to speak into people's lives in a sometimes very public manner. And sometimes I've run from that calling. Sometimes I've leaned into it. Sometimes I've had that like, I uh, want to get to have to, I've, I've gone through all those iterations okay. of that. Um, but I also see how God prepared me from the music career that I had um, ultimately because I, I, I was flunking out of school. I dropped out of SMS or that, actually I didn't drop out. They told me to leave. They said, they said, Hey, you, you're not on probation. You are suspended, my friend. <laughs> so I uh, got suspended from SMS uh, and I went to OTC and like in the first month that I was at OTC, I got this phone call. I came home one day, um, to that I was living at, uh, with some roommates on campus still over at Missouri state. And, uh, my roommate was like, Hey, you had this phone call, like a voicemail for some guy that's a tour manager. And, um, he just wanted you to call him back. So I called this guy back. Um, his name is Barth Fraker. And he uh, he had tour managed for an artist named Natalie Grant. And uh, he knew her manager who was connected with Atlantic Records. They were starting this boy band. It was the late 90s, early 2000 era of pop music. And uh, so he's like, would you be one, would you want to fly out to California to audition for this group? And I was like, I remember I got off the phone with this guy and I called all of my friends. I was like, is this a prank? You know, because like, I mean, there's this, you got to remember this is before social media. So, so like I'm, I, I'm having, um, I'm just having these thoughts of like, is this real? Like, is this really, is this for real? Is this legit? Um, and how, how did they find me? How, how did, how is, how does this happen? So apparently this guy had seen me sing when I was at Kickpoo and just kind of, you know, wrote my name down and dropped it in the hat. And I was like, you know, it was a Tuesday. I remember it was a Tuesday. And they, they were like, hey, you got to fly out to California and audition for the vice president of Atlantic Records on Thursday. Oh. And I didn't really have, that's kind of an interesting like little side quest there is like, I didn't have time to overthink it. I just had to be decisive. And at a minimum, my decisive nature at that time was like, yeah, free trip to California. I'll go there. I've never been west of Denver. So... Anyway, long story short, I, I went out there, I signed with Atlantic Records. That was like a three or four year stint where we recorded three studio albums and had gold and platinum albums and a lot of success. We had our first single uh, written on my heart was like, it would spent like, it broke the record at the time for like weeks, consecutive what? weeks at number one uh, for the gospel music charts. Like, really? Yeah. No, like, I mean, okay. Oh, sorry. You can fact check. Are you on Spotify? Is it on Spotify? Yeah, yeah it's on every group? every streaming platform. Okay. So like uh, like you can you can pull up our music anywhere on there. Well, give me the band name. Uh, plus one. P L U S O N E. There it is. Yeah. yeah. So you'll see. Blue check. On. Yeah. Oh, there he is. <laughs> young, yeah, young and broody. <laughs> I like it. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Yeah, it's a, it can be kind of a wormhole if you do Google it. I, I mean, I always joke that I'm like, man, I'm glad social media didn't exist when we were doing this. 
because we had a lot of success without it. And I, uh, I, I can't imagine just how different my life would be. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that there wasn't and number one, because I don't, I know that like in God's plan, like the, that wasn't the ultimate calling, uh, but it built upon what, what has been the ultimate calling in my life, which is obviously fitness in the gym and, and having that. But, um, <laughs> I don't know. The other thing is I'm glad social media didn't exist because I was not very well behaved for being in a Christian boy band. So <laughs> I, I would have probably, I was the quote unquote bad boy. I probably would have gotten kicked out. You would have been a canceled. lot quicker. Yeah. yeah. I would have been canceled quick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but, wow. um, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. anyway, well, continue with your, your, your journey. I mean, after. yeah. I mean, so just from there, I think that really does lay a good foundation though for like what God's taken me to next. Um, because the travels, um, just the experiences. I mean, I remember being 22, 23 years old as that was coming to an end. And I'm not kidding when I say I remember looking out a window on an airplane and thinking, man, I've done so much in such a short amount of time. Like, talk about perspective. Like, I, I, at that time, remember being like, if I died right now, like, I've done... I've seen and done so much. A lifetime. And that was like, stuff. yeah, and I'm 43 now. So that was like a half of my life ago. I was already like, oh man, I'm good. Like I've done, I've done a lot. I've seen a lot. I've traveled and experienced so much. But little did I know uh, that that was just the beginning. And that's that has been another constant theme in my life is this reminder of that, just this reminder that like God's not done. Like, as long as I'm still alive, like, we're just getting started. So 15 years now, I've been in business, owning a gym. I went back to school for sports medicine after the band. Got my degree in athletic training. Uh, you know, got into CrossFit and started a, a CrossFit gym. And we've rebranded as Proximal Strength, but we're still a CrossFit gym. And um, 15 years of being in business, but yet I still look at it like, you know what? We're just getting started. Like we're just warming up to to whatever it is that God wants to carry this through to or have it look like going forward. So we uh, I lived in Asheville. My wife and I, Jenny, got married. We moved back to Springfield to be close to family. And uh, now we have two kids, Vincent and Emil, uh, 15 and 12. And um, Vin is a big basketball player. Emil is big into dance, and they're both just really great. Uh, kids they're they're smart they're priority driven purpose driven uh they're just they're great well no doubt that stems from (laughs) definitely jenny (laughs) (laughs) all the good all they got all the good stuff definitely the smarts uh like ben and emil they're both they're just very sharp sharp kids very discerning and talented like the like not yeah. not for nothing. They're they're hard workers, right? Which yeah. but hard and hard work beats talent every day. Mm-hmm. But are very talented basketball and basketball player and, and dancer. Yeah. Um, and they so. just they have so many gifts. And I mean, I think really when when we stop and look at it, um, at anybody's life, like God's given everybody a lot of gifts and whether you kind of have that a scarcity mindset or abundance mindset like either way like you you have something to offer you know you have a skill set you know um but it's just a matter of are you are you seeing it from a perspective of okay 
I want to steward this. I want to foster well. I want to grow it. I want to. I want to turn my arrows out and like help to you know serve people. Or are you just like, oh, mine doesn't seem that flashy in comparison to what other, what other, what someone else's giftings are or whatever. Um, but yeah, so my wife Jenny, uh, we've been married for 20 years, and Jenny is a realtor here in town. Um, she got into real estate, kind of got headhunted uh, to be a part of a team here. So she's been, she's had a long, windy career as well, um, but has been faithful in every single thing that she's ever done. And, you know, I always thought like real, real estate would be really good for her to get into because she just has an eye and, a, and an ear and a heart for that. Um, but I never really thought like that that would come to fruition in any tangible way. And uh, a few years back, she got reached out to to be a part of this team. Uh, so she now is with the uh, she's with the Dan Holt team here in Springfield, and uh, is doing great great things with with the sell side of things. Yeah, that's that's the that was the uh, the first attempt of God trying to connect us was before she was a realtor. She worked at the hospital with my wife. Yes. And yes. they were, she was my wife's direct supervisor for a little bit Yeah, around that time where we had two miscarriages that mm. year. And, mm. and she walked with Caitlin through that in a workplace environment, right? Which mm -hmm. you have to do that as a boss sometimes, but that's where our paths could have, maybe should have crossed, but never did. Yeah. So, but that was, that was eight years ago. <laughs> well, and I think the, the cool testimony about that, the thing that I see in that is that, you know, I never knew that. Um, I do remember Jenny talking to me about uh, your guys' circumstances. I, I do remember that. And her, you know, telling me about um, just how her heart was, was so broken for what you guys were walking through with the miscarriages and everything. Um, but more, more, I just see how, like what we talked about, like Jenny was just a light and she didn't, it wasn't about like her being like, oh yeah, I'm being this real great friend or supervisor or whatever. Like she just did it out of the, just because like, it wasn't about anything other than just yeah. her having a good heart. Yeah. I wouldn't have been surprised if she didn't even tell you about it. Right. Like yeah. that's just what, you, it's what she did. Right. That's she what did. I, I remember her doing it more just from a place of compassion. Yeah. Like she, you know, and, um, uh, that's the beautiful thing about my wife. Um, and I, I know you could say that about Caitlin as well. Um, is just, uh, just having, having such a compassionate heart for others um, and just a genuine heart to, to do good and not necessarily get always acknowledged for it, but just keep doing good. Um, yeah. Um, well, that's I mean, good. yeah, that's a, that's, that's pretty much my kind of my background. Um, I've got an amazing family. Family is, um, it really is so important to me. Um, What's up? The selfies from the church was that with your that was with your family, right? Yeah. So yeah. we yeah. So our church just had a um, just had their grand opening. We go to North Point here in Springfield, uh, but they opened up a campus in Nixa, um, a grand opening for this new building. But I went there. My mom was there. My sister. Um, so my mom and dad both served there. 
and volunteer with kids and, and adults alike and lead groups. And, and then my brother and sister both sing um, and lead worship at the church. So you have a musical family. We do, yeah. yeah. We have there, and and honestly, like that's what I was saying at the beginning. Like as far as like my background, um, is, you know, my my gift. I I wasn't a great steward of my gift um, as a vocalist, and I did my best to, um, you know, play the guitar and and write music and all of that. And I had some great opportunities with all three of those lanes. Um, but I did not steward well. I think there's a lesson in that. I didn't, I didn't take care of my voice. And then years of coaching, like you can hear just kind of like the break and the raspiness sometimes in my voice. But it's like the compounding effect of 44 years of yelling, singing, screaming, coaching. coaching. Yeah, yeah. yeah, all of that. Um, but, um, but I wouldn't trade it. <laughs> I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's like uh, the lessons that I learned from the music industry, the lessons that I've learned from, uh, you know, coaching and being in a position to facilitate fitness for others um, and serve others with that gift and skill set has been awesome. Um, I just, I, I absolutely love it. So well, it's good to know your story. I really appreciate your perspective. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, and then, what about what about you? So, what's your like I've I've always been kind of curious as we've been getting to know each other, um, kind of your path from a business perspective. Like, how did you how did you get into because uh, you have an accounting? Yeah, it, it's an accounting firm. Yeah, my the original business I started uh, that actually worked <laughs> was uh, Springfield Bookkeeping. Okay, that's what we that's what I own right now. Yeah, and so where did you where did you go to school? That's a wild story. Um, I mean, it's not wild. It's just nothing really wild, mm -hmm. uh, but it's just weird because I don't have an accounting background. Uh, I'm not a CPA. Um, I kind of am self-taught. So I went to school. My first semester, I went to OTC. Mm -hmm. So, well, let me back up a little bit. Caitlin and I met when we were uh, 15 years old at church camp mm -hmm. in Warsaw, Missouri. Small little camp mm -hmm. baptist it's called baptist ridge camp nice. so our churches though they were about an hour apart were part of a, a an association of churches in the area and they would send all their kids to this associations that like owned a camp like bunk houses you know traditional yeah. church camp uh and so we met there um we're friendly you know we were young dumb teenagers and so you know i'd like break up with my girlfriend yeah, and she yeah. break you know all this, oh yeah breaking hearts you know break just dumb, <laughs> right um but we uh that's where we we ended up getting married there um you know that's where we started our life together um we got married when we were 21 not when we were 15 to yeah. clarify yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh but i went to school my my first semester of college i came to otc actually uh and then we were dating. We started dating right after, like at the end of our senior year of high school. So we were dating, and she had gone to Mizzou. So you know that KU MU rivalry mm. at that time was pretty high. Uh, so we can yeah. still. Work. I think it still is. We'll work that out eventually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, once I'm a little stronger, we can like fight or something. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> but anyway, so I followed her after our first semester of college. Like we were on the rocks like it's just rough 
um, yeah. being in two different college towns and, um, you know, we were pretty committed to each other, but I was like, okay, I'm going to, I moved to Columbia. Um, I was kind of like, not sure still what I was doing with my, my college degree. I was still doing gen eds and mm. kind of aimless, I would say, um, outside of the fact that like I wanted to pursue Caitlin. And so I moved up there started going to Columbia College, and I graduated from Columbia College uh, with a misguided degree in um, criminal justice administration. Hmm. And so I say that's misguided because I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, um, but I was traumatized as a kid by the fathers in my life, and I thought I had to have a career that would demand respect like I remember thinking that like if I'm gonna choose a career path I'm gonna choose to do something that everybody has to respect me and like mm. listen to my authority like internally that was my that driving. was kind of like a driving force yeah. yeah and so I was like well I want to go to the highway patrol because who doesn't you know yeah. kind of crap their it pants a, a little when yeah, they get pulled over by an authority figure yeah and so um that was my goal um, I got on with the sheriff's department in Columbia, uh, Greene County, and I was a, a corrections officer for uh, almost two years. Wow. Um, and as I finished up my degree, I got on board with them. That was kind of my foot in the door. My goal was to go on the road uh, as a patrolman and then get some experience and then go to the highway patrol. So go from, I'm sorry, a deputy to a highway patrolman. Yeah. Right? And so um, that was like my career path that I had chosen. Uh, and then a couple years into uh, being a corrections officer, I got, I was, I had a conversation with Caitlin and realized that I was becoming somebody that I never wanted to be. Like I was a jerk. I was mm. a straight up class A prick. Like I was jaded after a year and a half of being on, you know, working in a jail, 12 hour shifts, just always in a fight or arguing with somebody. Literally just, it had a couple incidents where got into some pretty serious things with, with inmates and it's just, yeah. it's a harsh environment. Um, and so we, uh, I'd made the decision to kind of go back into what I was doing Prior to that, which was kind of working in the automotive field. How old? How old are you at this time? At this time, I was. It was would have been two thousand uh, eleven or twelve. So I was twenty three, twenty four. We had been married for a few years, a couple of years, um, and so I uh, through high school and college, I worked in automotive, doing parts delivery and and working in at Napa Auto Parts. And mm -hmm. and so I went back to the body shop that I was working at at the time. And so um, just kind of jumped around from career to career, essentially for a couple of years, but yeah. never felt, looking at it now, like I, I was never living into a calling. Yeah. I was just doing what I had to do to kind yeah. of pay the bills yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And so, um, Fast forward, we moved to Springfield in 2014. Um, she graduated from uh, Mizzou PT school mm -hmm. and got her dream job at Mercy uh, doing pediatric PT. Um, 
and working for Jenny. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I found a job almost immediately in Springfield, so we made a decision to, which is a cool story in and of itself. Actually, the yeah we uh, it was a is a cool story of Caitlin's heart of of her desire to be a submissive wife in a, in, a, in the biblical sense mm-hmm. of um, we were in a great church in, in Columbia. We loved it, loved it so much, um, the crossing. And we loved our small group and the people that we were in community with. Uh, but it came time, like, to the school was coming to an end. And like like Springfield, Columbia can be a bit of a transitional place for college yeah. students. Yeah. And so we were, like, faced with this decision of do we stay in Columbia or move to Springfield to be closer to her family? Like, like you guys made that decision um, when, you know, to be closer to your mom's family. And so uh, we went for a walk one day. We took the dog. She's a runner. She's a better athlete than I am, but uh, she's just, she's got endurance that I don't have. Mm. She's run a multi- multiple half marathons and different stuff. And so... Um, but so she went for a run and I took the dog for a walk the other way on a trail. Mm-hmm. And we decided before we took off, like, hey, when we come back, we need to make a decision. So I want you to pray about it and I'm going to pray about it. And when we come back, we'll count down from three and say, move or stay. Mm-hmm. And so she, she took off running and I took off walking, you know, and we timed it right to come back. And we met about where like the park near the parking lot. And I just remember going, OK, one two, three, and I, and I was thinking in my head, I was like, we're going to stay here. Like, I have a great job. It's paying the bills. Like, I'm actually making more money than I've ever made, and, and it's easy. And, um, and what came out of my mouth was move. <laughs> and I was like, kind of shocked that I said move, but at the same time, she said yes, which was as shocking. It was like neither of us had control in that moment. I said move. And she had fully intended to just say yes to whatever I decided. Dude. As a leader wow. of my family. Dude, that's incredible. Yeah. That's so, so that's so incredible. So we were both kind of shocked looking at each other because I was like, oh, you said yes. And she was like, you said move. Like, I didn't think you would want to move. And I'm like, I didn't think I wanted to move either. Yeah. Uh, oh, and man. it was one of the best decisions we ever made. Yeah. Um, so we moved. <laughs> so we moved to Springfield um, and... Like I said, kind of yeah, been putting I, I wanna, down roots. I want to pause you really quick because I think there's something in there that people will hear and they'll go, like, they'll be like, I think, you know, especially as our podcast is geared towards, like, men um, and processing that. And we talk about, like, mm. you know, wives submit biblically, biblically. And I think that it would be easy for, for some to look at that and just be like, oh, you know, it's like, this classic Christian thing where the wives got to like submit to the husband and all this stuff. But it's like, what, what I, all I see in here when you say that is that you guys were unified. You guys were unified. You guys were unified. Like, well, that is the Trump card. That's like literally, that's the, that's the card that wins over everything else. Everybody's opinions is like the result is that you guys are unified in a decision together. And, so, I don't know. I just think there's, it's just like a beautiful thing that both of you, like, were just aligned. Your hearts were aligned in that. And that makes, that makes for a, a, a powerful, like, a strong 
decisive um, next step, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It gave us, I could take you to the spot on that trail mm -hmm. where that happened. And we walked away from there feeling as unified as we've ever been yeah. on the same page. And, um, and I think I, I obviously attribute that to us taking the time to individually lean into God, what do you have for us? Yeah. Like, and God, that is like, 100%. So at our grand opening for, for North Point Nixa, they had, they had the chamber there, Nixa chamber. They had all these like volunteers from the church and people from the community and people that were architects and electrical and plumbers and everybody there to celebrate. It was tons of people. Um, but this guy came and presented uh, our campus pastor and his wife, Jeremy Alvarez and Beth, and then Jeremy Johnson and Leanne Johnson, our, our church pastor, um, presented them with these, these little art pieces that are like the triangle. And it's like that metaphor that we've heard a million times if you're in church circles probably, where as each of you are pursuing the Lord and growing in God's calling for your lives and purpose for your lives, you get closer together, you know, mm. to, to one another. So you're, you're on one side of the bottom of the triangle. She's on the other. God's at the top of the triangle. And as you guys are pursuing God, the triangle does what it does and brings you guys closer yeah. together, one another. And that's exactly, you know, you well, look at how both of you went and pursued God's will in a circumstance. You prayerfully considered. You came back together. And then you guys were unified in a decision. Well, here's, here's the, here's, this is what I, I, several, well, maybe a year ago, there's a sermon that was preached at a church that we helped start here in Springfield, which I'll get to in my story. But, um, the idea is if like you get the, sorry, what I'm trying to say is the, the cliche of that my wife needs to submit to me and I'm mm -hmm. the leader of my family. Mm -hmm. It, it breaks down instantly in a, in a true Christian environment, yeah. right? It breaks down instantly because the idea is, and this is what I just wrote down, if I'm submitting to Jesus and his authority in my life, and my wife knows that and sees me leaning into that, how much happier will she be? You know, like this is like to submit to me. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I'm doing, I'm the leader and I'm taking charge and she needs to trust me. It's because she sees me trusting Jesus with our family. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, <laughs> this, this whole, like, if you want your wife to submit to you, you need to be the example. Yeah. Like, you need to be submitting. What are you submitting to? Your own authority? Exactly. Or, or, because or you know you, you know you as well as, as well as anybody. Like, my wife does, should not, I, I'm, I'm a broken misguided vessel 100%. if I, if on my own, left to my own devices, right? So there's no way she should trust me. But if she sees me leaning into my calling and, and leading into my relationship with Jesus and like living in a way that's, God, I submit this to you and I, I want to do this the best I can. I want to be a good steward of the gifts you've given me. Hmm. And she sees that, like how much happier are you to follow somebody that, that you see doing that? Um, so there was a sermon that uh, Brad Lotz, one of the pastors at Hill City, preached that was like, he has a much better way of, of obviously breaking that down and talking I through it. But man, I it mean, was I think so that's good. perfect. It's like, again, it just gives perspective and context to 
What is a uh, what is a biblical principle that I think gets ba- bastardized a lot? Yes, and it gets torn apart. Um, you know, again, in in real time, by people who are believers and non-believers. Uh, yes, because you you try to use it in a way that's not the way God intended. You know, and well, so, that's what you know, like like Christ, like the command is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Right. Exactly. And so, what did he do? He laid down his own desires. Like his desire was for for his father to take let this cup pass from him. Right. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to go to the cross, but he sacrificed himself for his bride. And so, the idea is like, well, if left to my own devices, I'm probably going to do what I want to do, and that's not going to be in her best interest. Hundred percent. And so that's. Anyway, that's yeah, that's my soapbox moment. I love that. that. No, no, it's beautiful. Oh. It's so cool. It's so, like the big things are the little things, and like that that could seemingly be such a little interaction, but look at how that decision in God's faithfulness to both of you guys and your faithfulness to God in that has made. I mean, it's been oh, again. It's, you it's talk crucial. about a, a brick in the foundation, like. It's 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 laid the foundation for where you guys are at in your marriage and your family now. It's, it's almost like one of those altar moments, like you know, reading the story of Noah and the ark, when they 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 disembarked from the ark, uh, like they got off of the boat. Noah built an altar immediately. Like this is the place mm-hmm. where God has delivered us. Like I could go to that place. Yeah. And there's so many moments like that in our story of like, I can go to that place, the gazebo at the church camp where we first talked to each other, like, and just build an altar there and just like praise the Lord for his faithfulness. Um, That's fun. That's awesome. So we moved to, so we moved to Springfield and uh, like I got a job working at a body shop. Uh, I moved to another company as a service manager in in a small dealership here in town. Uh, and we planted, uh, we were going to Second Baptist Church when they planted Hill City Church. Mm-hmm. And so we did, made the decision to go with the church uh, plant and help and do whatever we can. And at the time I was just volunteering, but about a year into that, they asked me to come on staff, hmm. uh, which at the time the church wasn't fiscally capable of paying my salary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to raise support, which was kind of, uh, a tough ask at the time, um, because I had to go home and this was like my dream job. Honestly, I'd been helping as much as I could with the church and was like secret, like in my secret place, like, man, I I would love to work for a church. Like, I think I'm, this is what I was supposed to do. So when they asked, I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I can't wait. And then they're like, well, but you have to go ask people for money mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh God. Uh, <laughs> because I had to go home and tell my pregnant wife that we were, that that this kind of dream was a opportunity, but here's the catch. And it's another thing. I could tell you where she was sitting on the couch and she was like, yeah, absolutely, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, nope, no hesitation, no nothing. She was like, yeah, okay. And she was pregnant with Quincy at the time, and we were fostering two little boys. So we had our third kid on the way, uh, and um, I left my decent career, my happy, the best, the place I had felt the most fulfilled. Mm-hmm. I left that, and uh, for six months worked with no salary, 
a guaranteed salary and I started raising money. Yeah. And God provided that salary by the end of the six months and I started working as the operations director and I could talk about that forever, mm. uh, that, that fundraising process yeah. um, and, yeah. and, and how I grew and learning to abide and trust. And, and uh, um, that was probably the number one word during that time period of like learning to trust and, and abide and, and, mm. and be powered, empowered by the spirit and like attached to the vine. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, did that. And as a result of like coming on staff like one of my jobs was uh to handle the bulk of the finance the financial procedures for the church Mm. so i began learning more than i already kind of had picked up on in my previous jobs about bookkeeping and um accounting payroll all that stuff Mm. and um a couple years later uh landry is born and then diagnosed with a really rare genetic disorder and by that time I was helping a couple small business owners in the church with their finances Mm -hmm. just on the side I'd show up for a couple hours for 20 bucks an hour and help them reconcile and get through their bookkeeping procedures and so they were like my first clients some of my they're still my clients today which is cool Uh, but uh, when she was diagnosed we decided it was time for Caitlin to stay home full-time and be her primary caregiver, take care of our oldest. And um, uh, we decided, we also realized that my church salary wasn't going to cut it mm-hmm. for a family of four mm-hmm. with a genetic disorder, like a mm-hmm. kid with a disability and our yeah. house payment. And so it's like, well, I think if I can maybe ramp this up on the side, I can hustle for some money and, and build a business so I yeah. uh, the business name Springfield Bookkeeping was miraculously available and I was like well that's simple I'll take that mm-hmm. and in the middle of the night on July 4th 2019 I started my business mm-hmm. I asked those couple of clients if they knew anybody and started getting referrals and then by the end of 20 I by the end of 2020 I had uh, re like the church leadership was so gracious and they let me like work my full-time job down to part-time and then nothing mm-hmm. as I built up my book of business. Yeah. And so by the end of 2020, I rolled off completely off of staff. I kept them on as a client, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, was able to hire somebody in the business just the end of 2020, then the beginning of 2021 with mm-hmm. kind of COVID and all that stuff. People were looking to outsource more of their business mm-hmm. needs, yeah. and it just took off. Yeah. And we were, we've just been going since then, which is just really crazy. So that's how I got that's into incredible, that. Incredible, man. That's really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's um, it's like this long, windy, you know. Like I mean, I, I, what I learned when I was traveling is that everybody has a story like this. Like, yeah. You know, you just, you know, really anybody listening to this has a similar like their own like windy twisty oh, tale yeah. it's like, 
Like, yeah. I mean, no, like I would never known that you worked as a corrections officer in <laughs> prisons and like, yeah, you got boy band and corrections. Officer. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. nobody, I mean, it kind of works though. Cause like I was a bad boy in the boy band. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, dude, it's, it's funny though. Cause, uh, I, I really did learn that I, I learned in just having chats with people when we were on the road or touring or flying or traveling for music. I did. I really became more perceptive to like, man, everybody's got a story, you know, everybody's got like a really dynamic path and journey that they've been on. Um, and I think, I think sometimes we just undervalue and underplay how all of those pieces, cause that's what one of my questions was, was like, what, what do you feel like was one of the biggest things looking back that you gained out of two years of being a corrections officer? Cause like I get like I mean I've been I've been to jail a couple times I've been arrested for stuff so like I know it's not a fun fun place to be and I know that it, it's and I you know one of my one of my coaches and and best friends at the gym Brian Rice he's a he just retired as a, a corrections officer at the Fed Med oh yeah and like right. so he he'll talk to me about like just. You know, I'm always interested in like anytime I talk to somebody that's like in the military or service industry, like EMT, fire, police, uh, law enforcement, like I always am like, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen? Like, what's the, you know what I mean? I got stories. For oh, you. I know. And, and I mean, just when you work in that, when you work, when you do that line of work, like, because I, I used to feel like this conviction, you know, like my, I never understood my dad watching like the movie Platoon and like he always had this feeling of like all the people that he grew up in his generation, a lot of them went and served our country and fought and put their life on the line and lost their life and lost loved ones. 10 times the men that will ever be. 1000%. And then like the same thing for like our generation, it's like the Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, like, um, and that was for me, like I, I had friends uh, best friends and people that I knew that that were serving and I always had this like feeling of like man did I did I not do what I was supposed to do to serve but what I realized is that like God's put me in a position to serve those who have to do and have served and support their mission their families um, and that that valuable when that that team aspect is just as valuable like we need people that are just civilians, I say just civilians, but that are civilians and not EMS or fire or law or, or you know, veteran or yeah. veterans or, you know, soldiers who we need, we need those people to be in support and service to those who do serve. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah so, you know, I've, I've felt the conviction too. like, and I, I think, you know, like seeing some of my buddies, my best friends in the world that elected to go into a different different branches of the military and it was mm -hmm. like, oh man, like we were on the same path in high school, you know, I, like kind of skipped over that, but I played sports, I played basketball, baseball and soccer in mm -hmm. high school. And, um, mainly soccer was kind of my thing towards the end of the, uh, my time in high school. But like most of my good friends went to a branch of the military. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there was kind of like this time period between, trying to figure out what I was going to do in college. And, uh, I mean, really a, a fear of going into the military. 
and then kind of like, well, if I did law enforcement, maybe that's just as respectful of a career mm-hmm. and people will have to give me respect. And it was really misguided, like I said. But, yeah, I get it. But that's, I, I resonate with what you're saying. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's I, I totally get that kind of like the conviction of wanting mm-hmm. to do something that's honorable and realizing that you can do that and it, not everybody is made to be in the military. Not everybody is made to be a chef or right. not, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just silly to think that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, I have, I have more, I have the utmost respect for, for anybody that serves in the military and uh, I'm grateful for their, for their service for sure. So but you um, in that, uh, what, learned, you, what did I learn? Yeah. I think the two, two biggest things, the first thing being, um, I am one decision away from me, like as a corrections officer and, and talking to people that were there, I was like one bad decision away from the roles being reversed. Mm-hmm. Like there was not so much of a gap between who I was as a person and who that guy was as a person. Mm-hmm. He's just wearing orange and I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm wearing a uniform because he made a decision that he, he can't, he couldn't get back. And I just didn't quite make that decision. Maybe it was like 10 decisions that led to that. Yeah. We may have made nine of the same decisions. Yep. And he made one more that I didn't make. And yep. he's in that position and I'm not. That is, you talk about having a theme of perspective today. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a really unique and valuable, powerful perspective is to realize like, yeah, yeah. I think we, you know, we tend to, put ourselves in the role of the hero Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah when in all actuality we're we're all (laughs) more like the villain villain (laughs) you know and we're one decision away at every turn from like taking a step towards being heroic or you know making the wrong mistake yeah yeah i'd say that like learning like that's that's just compassion like like talking to people Mm mm-hmm and like treating people the way you want to be treated this is oversimplification but it's really what it is yeah and then how to contend with people um i learned how to like physically contend with people how to fight how to defend myself and and my coworkers, uh but also verbally yeah um which is big which is probably even more so crucial probably even more crucial yeah because to navigate that there's there's a there's probably a lot of situations that that could have been much worse Mm -hmm. had i not taken the time to verbally get around the whatever issue this guy's like yeah you're feeling a certain way why don't you tell me about that yeah well why are you doing like just that's the kind of the question where where you were saying like somebody close to you in relationship to you will ask you a question that'll make you be like, oh, why'd you have to ask that? Now yeah, now I know the yeah. answer. It was rhetorical. I'm being a dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it was like, hey, why are why are you doing this, man? Is there something going? Are you frustrated about something? Yeah. Like why are you what's what's do you do you want to have drama? Like, do yeah. we need that? Yeah. And, what's and, the real reason? Uh Diving a little deeper than some people would. And so I think that level, that's another thing I learned. It's like to contend with people and to understand that 
but for the grace of God, there go I. Mm, yeah. Right. That's so good. Yeah. Um, so good. Yeah. Huh. I like, uh, that's like, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I've, I've struggled with over, like I'm very defensive, responsive, reactionary. And when left to my own instincts, it's going to be to fight, to escalate, to, you know, you, you talk about being a nine Enneagram, like I'm a three. So I just want to win. Like, so uh, I just, I like whatever brings the fight to like me being in a position of like, I'm winning immediately. I have that instinct, but you know, even when you talk about personality tests and all these different ones, there's like, there's the, there's the fruits and the toots as like our pastor says, like, there's like the, there's the benefits of being wired a certain way. And then there's the downside of being wired a certain way. And I'm just trying to continue to lean into like, okay, be, have the patience to not knee jerk and like quickly get defensive and responsive but be willing to look at it and go, what's really going on? And ask that question of myself and someone else, you know, um, that's cool. I, like I think that. that's, I think that's a valuable thing to, uh, I think is, especially as fixers, as men tend to be like, here's a problem. Let me solve it and move on yeah, and fix yeah. it for us to, to be going through a situation or maybe a season of life or a season of like, you know, like depression or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Like to stop and be you know, like, there's, there's shame involved with, let's say it's a season of depression. There's shame involved with that for a man. Like just pick yourself up, just go. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, uh, you, you know, time for that. Mm -hmm. Um, but to take the time and go like, what's really going on here? Or not, not what do I need to do to fix this? Mm -hmm. But like, what's going on? Yeah. Dive a little deeper. Yeah. What can we do um, to, like, as men, like, what can we do to, like, push ourselves to dive a little deeper? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think along with what you're saying is, like, self-awareness is a muscle. Self-awareness is a muscle. That's, yeah. You have to train it. Like, when we're in the gym, I'm always, like, you know, paying attention to how someone moves and not just me observing how they move, but do they have, do they have awareness of how they're moving? That's crucial. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. like, I think having, having more, uh, being more perceptive of your own thoughts, feelings, emotions, and actions, and like trying to find a deeper why of mm -hmm. like, okay, why, why am I depressed? Instead of just like sitting in it, and looking at all the real external superficial things that are making you anxious or angry or disturbed mm -hmm. or depressed. And it's like, okay, what's the core of what's going on in my, in my mind and in my heart and in my spirit and in my relationships mm -hmm. that's leading me to this feeling or this outcome. And here's, and this is, this is a, a light bulb. This, this is the, what we're trying to do here. This is the mission of that to provide a community of men that will help you do that. Yes. That can dive deeper, understand what's going on, help you process, give you tools. Like there's nothing better for me recently. I've got a couple guys I know I can call. I can call Brady. I can call Clayton. And I know like, hey, this is what's going on. Help me. Help me dive a little. I'm struggling. 
Yeah. Am I just thinking about this from the wrong perspective? Mm-hmm. I'm frustrated about this. And and every time I get off the phone with them, it's like, oh, I have this new perspective or I have this new tool or I have, but it's a community aspect. Mm-hmm. Like I have a person that I can call that's going to like help me push through. It's going to help me carry that load. Like I know I can, I can call them and unload about how pissed off I am that yeah. Landry is going through this and how angry it makes me. And I will be met with what a testimony Landry's life is going to be yeah. that in, and, and our life with her is like in spite of the craziness, in yeah. spite of that, like we praise the Lord and, and, and her, her life is going to, is going to bring people to Jesus, mm-hmm. her story, even though it's painful and, and hurtful. Like, like I'll walk out of a, like you, you need a community like that. Like you have to have it. Mm. That is, that is the calling on my life to provide communities, a community for guys like that, or or help people build those communities. Yeah. I grew up where, and I, I grew up with a dad that wasn't around much, a stepdad that was horrible to be around, just not a great person. And both of them, especially my stepdad, lacked any real community of men that would speak truth and love to him. And, and I've done a lot of work on that as far as forgiving him and there's still more work to do. Uh, but I can look back and see, man, if he had had a Clayton, if he had had a Brady, if he had had a Jeremy to like, just talk through some of the stuff with like, man, yeah, man, God would have, I, I just... Yeah, I I can look back and say, man, I wish that was different. Yeah. But I'm so glad that I'm here now. One hundred percent. And like like you said, I mean, heavyweights um, is is a it's it's a manifestation and an absolute direct result of you taking the pain of that experience and allowing God to use it for a greater purpose. Um, uh, so I mean, I commend you. I'm honored. I'm really honored to be a part of, of this and these conversations, and I'm excited for this.